Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm happy to say Bread for the People has a new sponsor. Farmer Ground Flour was nice enough to sponsor Bread for the People, and I wanted to tell you a little bit more about them. Here's what I discovered. So it's a team of conscientious millers and farmers that was started in about 2009 by three friends, Greg Russo, Neil Johnson, and Thor Oxner. They're rooted in the Finger Lakes region and they use local organic grains and focus on supporting local communities. They're committed to leading the growth of sustainable grain economy. Farmer Ground has designed their stone ground milling process to retain the integrity of the grain, allowing natural nutrients, fibers, oils, and flavors to speak for themselves. I particularly like baking with the high extraction bread flour. It's an 85% extraction flour that is sifted to remove a large portion of the bran while retaining the wheat germ, resulting in great flavors and nutrition. Go to FarmerGroundFlour.com to learn more. I highly recommend Farmer Ground, and I'd like to thank them for sponsoring Bread for the People. The following episode of Bread for the People is brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run virtual bakery that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. Head on over to SideHustleBread.com for more information, upcoming appearances, and merchandise. My name's Jim Serpico, and this... Should I start with my name? Or should I start with this is Bread for the People? Do you like it like this? Welcome to Bread. Or do you like it like this? Welcome. Ready? Welcome to Bread for the People. Mine... Is there a script? Welcome to Bread for the People. I'm Jim Serpico. Today, I have a guest who's going to tell us a cautionary tale. He is the founder of Formaggio Cheese. He's also the original inventor of stuffed crust pizza, and his name is Anthony the Big Cheese Mangiello. Anthony, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Anthony, I'm very familiar with Formaggio and the award-winning mozzarella products that you guys make, and... Uh, I've got a list of awards. You've, you've won, I don't know, hundreds of awards. You kind of think outside the box when it comes to mutz. You've won awards for truffle oil, strings of cheese, applewood smoked prosciutto wrapped around fresh mutz, general salami hand rolled around mutz. Where do you, you kind of think outside the box here, right? Yeah, that's what I do. I'm actually an artist in my own right. And my cheese is my canvas. I, I've been for 32 years now 
uh, from all has been around, and I've been creating items that we, we, we say it like this. We change the face of the case as we go along. I try and think up new ways that are more consumer-friendly, new flavor profiles, and new ways for people to enjoy our fresh mozzarella specialty products. That's, that's pretty incredible. When you first started the company, were you dealing with the wide distribution that you're dealing with now, or were you kind of a small operation just selling locally? I was a tiny operation in a little garage in Brooklyn. I know a lot of people say that's how they started, but it's the truth. It was a 60 by 30 building, and all I would do was go to pizzerias and try and sell them fresh mozzarella for the pizza. I would go to some salamarias and try and sell them curd or fresh mozzarella. It was on a very small scale. But today, after 32 years and over 350 employees, I'm proud to say that we service nationally Costco, Walmart, uh, Sam's Club, BJ's, Aldi's, and all the major supermarkets across the country. That's incredible. Very impressive to be able to grow something you know, from the bottom up. I don't know if you had, I don't know, did you go to business school? Did you learn on the streets? What, what school did you go to? <laughs> you got it, man. The school of hard knocks. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. I went to college for a year and a, a semester and a half, and I realized for me, I was wasting my time. And I, I got into the real world. And my, my grandfather, when he came from Italy in, in the early 1900s, he was a tinsmith in Italy. Mm-hmm. And he brought his trade to America and he made regatta cans in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. And believe it or not, years ago, regatta came in metal cans wow. with holes in them to allow the regatta to drain out the way to drain from the regatta. Yeah. And then my dad going with his dad, uh, Jim, into all these cheese making facilities would see men what we call painstakingly trying to mold mozzarella in, in water that was in excess of 185 degrees and sticking their hands in that really bothered my dad. And he actually created uh, the first automated mozzarella molding machine in the history of the U.S. Really? I could use that machine because I burn my hands every day. Because, <laughs> you know, that I, I you so don't you know want, what that's like, right? You, you don't want gloves that are too thick because you want to get the feel of the mutts. But then you can't have it too thin because you burn a layer of skin off. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I started the food truck that I have right now, which is only in operation for three weeks, the original intention was so that I could, I'm a farmer's market guy. So I've been selling bread and making bread that I sell at farmer's markets for three years. And then I started doing some sandwiches and fresh mozzarella. And to get around the border health issues, I needed uh, sinks that have water over 140 degrees and all this stuff to get, to be able to make fresh mozzarella in person at the farmer's markets. And that was my original intention of why I bought this truck. It's since changed a little, and I'm not exactly doing that, but I do have a big interest in, uh, mozzarella making myself. Well, as you know, from your experience, it's very hot and the hot water is very hot and wearing gloves doesn't work because you can't, you know, make the cheese dance the way you want it to when you're wearing rubber gloves. It just doesn't work. Right. But that's what he did. And you know what? Growing up in the streets of Brooklyn, it was like that. It was a feast or famine. When he sold a machine, Jim, he'd bring home a new car. When he didn't sell a machine for a year, we ate pasta every night. That's just the way it was. Right. That's amazing. And then in, 
1991, I decided to start my own business and try and stay close to what my dad and my granddad did, which is I went into the fresh mozzarella industry myself. They were never cheesemakers, but I was the first cheesemaker in the family. And thank God, like I said, 32 years later, we're doing very well. Was it hard to get pizza shops to be interested? I would assume they all had relationships with other cheese companies um, and they were buying what's they were sourcing it somewhere else. So how do you break into that? It's very hard. And here's the reality, whether it was a pizzeria and, but let's talk about a store, a retail store, I would go into a retail store and try and gain some business. Well, the only way I could do it is I'd have to give them a better price. And then by the next week I was out and the old guy was back in and the guy behind the counter that owned the store, he was making all the money because his price got reduced twice. Right. And I went to my dad, who was my mentor, not my partner. I said, Pop, look, I'm having a hard time understanding how I'm going to build a business with such a rocky fashion. I can't just lie. This doesn't work. He said to me, Anthony, that's because you're selling products everybody else is. If you create your own product, you can name your price and build yourself a niche in the industry. And that's what I did. Wow. I started creating items like marinated mozzarella, Jim. The very first marinated mozzarella to be sold in a supermarket, in a container where a consumer can pick it up, grab and go, that was my product. These so you're, two you're, you're inch about rolls the... of brajuto and mozzarella, super asada. Right. That's ba what we did. Bathing in olive All oil. Stuff and we still do it today. That's amazing, man. That's the key, Jim. The key is... That we make the products at Formaggio the way I would at home for my family, with love. We chop fresh herbs. We mince fresh garlic. We infuse our oils before we add them to the marinade. We do a lot of special preparation. But that's what Formaggio really is. It's a specialty fresh mozzarella company with a lot of hands-on love making the product. Now, Anthony, when you get to that scale and you're distributing across the country and doing Costco's, you know, do you have to sit down with food scientists and figure out ways so that you could preserve this stuff and make it last in a way that you don't have to do when you're selling it on a small scale? Like I, I've been struggling in the bread world with, you know, shelf life and sh shelf stability and I've had some conversations, early conversations with, with food people. Then you're starting to add certain preservatives and things to it. It's not exactly the same. Do you have to do that kind of thing? It's, it's again, the school of hard knocks. You know, I'll be honest. When we first started, we tried using straight olive oil in our marinade. And then we came to find out that the straight olive oil on the refrigeration congeals. And it looks like wax in a cup. It tastes good when it's not looking like wax and it's at room temperature, but when you refrigerate it, it didn't work well. So we had to come up with new ways to flavor the oil, and we use a very lightweight canola oil with a little bit of olive oil in it for that flavor profile, but not too much where it will congeal. But my suggestion for anybody who's trying to bring to the business is there are food shows out that sell equipment for packaging. 
In this modern world in which we live, there are things called modified atmosphere packaging where you can remove oxygen and you could uh, inject nitrogen and CO2 and, and gases like that that will help in preserving the products, whether it's bread, meats or cheeses and things like that. But there really was nobody I could go to. And I, I should say it like this. There was one place. It's a, a college. And they, you can call them up and they have a whole... Uh, a course on learning how to make cheese. Oh, the Cornell Cooperative Extension. That's what it's called. Yeah, I work and with whenever them. we have questions, we can call Cornell. That's cool. And they're very, very willing to help you. That's cool, man. That That's amazing. Now, did you, uh, do you still do any of this stuff with pizza shops or you're, 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 you're out of that part of things? No, I'm out. You know, my, my pizza scenario was, you know, like they say, great uh, creations and inventions. They happen accidentally. As did my stuffed crust pizza project and product happen accidentally. But, yeah, I was never really in the pizza game. I was always a cheese guy my whole adult life, other than doing construction to make money to pay for the cheese factory. But, <laughs> yeah, it's right. all about cheese for me. Okay. All right. So you... you you mentioned the stuffed crust pizza. So that that's that's a big story here. And there's a, there's a big lesson, I think, to be learned for everybody listening to this. Tell us about how you invented that and what you were first doing with stuffed crust pizza. Stuffed crust pizza was, like I said, Jim, an accident. I was asked to make pizza. Now, I, I said, I worked for a cheese guy, so I had plenty of cheese. So I went to the local bakery and I bought some dough balls to make pizza. And when I bought the dough balls, I realized that they were much smaller than the ones I would see the pizza old guy behind the counter using to make a traditional sized pizza. So I took the two dough balls and I put them together. So I'm a little smarter, hopefully, than the average bear. And I was able to figure out how I could make a pizza with it. But what I didn't realize was that I knew how thin the bottom crust had to be. And with the fact that I had extra dough, I wound up putting it all towards the crust. And so I had what looked like the size of a cooked crust, but in a raw piece of dough. I put my sauce, I put my cheese, I put it in the oven. And I watched it as it started to cook. Jim, I, I was embarrassed. I didn't know the mistake I made. And all of a sudden, this crust started to bloom and blow up. And it looked like the size of a calzone or a zeppeli all around the outside of the pizza. And it right. diminished the center. So the sauce and the cheese, if it was 12 inches, was down to 9, 8 inches. But there was nothing wrong with it. It just looked funny. So we took it out. I cut it up. And we started to eat it. And I looked at this big piece of dough on the end that I turned that slice sideways and I bit into it. And like the nooks and crannies of an English muffin, I could see this, these nooks and crannies. And I said, wow, if there was something inside here, that would be incredible. And that is how stuffed crust pizza was born. Wow. So your next move on that was to try to replicate it, except this time you're stuffing it. You do it again. That's right. Intentionally. Intentionally. I, got, I went to the pizzeria and I got a traditional dough. Went to my friend's house. We're hanging out. We're on his mother's table. We took over the kitchen. She was great. She was great people. And, and we started to make a pizza. So I took, <laughs> I took link sausages and I cut them like coins. 
and I laid them in the crust. And growing up in, in Brooklyn, you know, pizza was sold by the slice. So I was originally setting this up where you could do it and cut in between, let's say, your fillings. So right. if you wanted to sell it by the slice, you could, but you didn't have to. Right. I put sausage, I put peppers, I stretched the dough over, right? And I closed it and I stuffed the crust all the way around, put the sauce, put the cheese. And you know what? It was incredible. But here's why. Stuffed crust pizza today is not the stuffed crust pizza I invented, meaning mine was so versatile. When I walked into a pizzeria in Brooklyn, you can buy a sausage roll, a, a stromboli, a Broccoli and cheese, meatballs and cheese. And that's what I wanted. I wanted it to be two products in one. So you could have your slice of pizza and then have a sausage roll or a calzone or, or whatever you wanted to have right. on that slice of pizza stuffed in your crust. Right. Now, you know what I enjoy? I got to tell you something. I'm enjoying your facial expressions as I'm talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> you look like you really like the idea. It sounds appetizing, doesn't it? Oh, I love it. I love this kind of stuff. I uh, I infuse my bread, and I I come up with stuff all the time. I've come up with stuff like I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I'm I'm known for the prosciutto bread I make, and I was I've been making it so long, and then I started making, but I started making rye breads, and I'm like, wait a second, on the Italian side, I do prosciutto bread, and I mix it with cheese and several different types of meats. Why can't I take pastrami and call it pastrami in the rye? And I started doing a stuffed rye with, with pastrami. And it's go. awesome. You know, I think that way. And, and the customers love this stuff and it pairs well with beer. I do it at breweries and stuff, but, um, you know, back to your story, nice. how did you take it to a step where you actually filed a patent on, the stuffed crust pizza, correct? I did. My dad, again, he made cheese machines for the Italian cheese industry. So he would always apply for patents for his, you know, equipment. So I brought my dad my idea and my concept. And he said to me, look, I like it. And I was shocked because growing up in Brooklyn, you got to understand my dad being first generation, he was the epitome of a steel fist and a velvet glove. And for him to pay me a compliment, well, I was kind of flawed, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he says, look, what you got to do is this. And this is a lesson, as you said, for people to learn. You got to try and think of any way somebody would try and circumvent your patent. If you apply for a patent, you want to include as many different variations of the product in your original patent application to try and protect yourself, which is what he told me. So... You know, that's what we did. I, I went to Manhattan with my, my other brother, uh, Lawrence Mangello, and we went to a company called Penny and Edmonds back then because I called up um, uh, one of my uncles who, uh, again, was, was familiar with uh, the, the legal system. And we went there. It took me over three years to get a patent. The patent office was telling me I was infringing on Apple turnovers and I was infringing on calzones. And I had to fly the examiner out there. I mean, uh, my lawyer to meet the examiner to explain to him that this is all happening on the edge of a pizza. And then I was granted my patent. Patent number 4661361 granted in April of 1987. And I applied for a trademark called Stuffed Crust Pizza. And the patent office said to me, look, we can't give you Stuffed Crust Pizza because it's too descriptive of a term. Okay. 
So I had to change it to stuff in the crust and I was awarded a trademark. So I peddled this thing around Brooklyn and I'm sure you could appreciate this. And I got a lot of Italian guys looking at me like I got six heads telling me, you want to make me pay you money to make my pizza? This don't work. I'm not going to pay you no money. Get out of here. Right. And I'd go on my way. I mean, I tried. I tried, you know, as best I could to battle the pizzerias themselves. And then I realized, you know what? This is such a good concept. I have to get it to the big boys. So I started cold calling Pizza Hut, Domino's, Little Caesars. And the only one that gave me any light of day was Pizza Hut. But here's the funny thing. And again, lessons in everything, Jim. Uh -huh. They tell me to send it to their R&D department. Now, even back then when I was younger, I said, you want me to send my patent and my idea to the people that you're paying a large salary to to create items for you? That kind of, to me, was a conflict, but that's all I could do. I sent them the patent. I sent them the whole process. I sent them everything. And I thought that once I had my patent, I would be very well protected. So what I want to tell you, and another lesson is, if you have a product that you want to introduce to the market and you're applying for a patent, as soon as the patent office accepts it, you'll have something that's called patent pending status. Right. When you have patent pending status, it's a closed file, Jim. And no one knows what you're applying for. And that's the time to go to market. I waited until I got my patent. And unfortunately, what that means is the patent is public domain. And Pizza Hut looked at my patent in my summation, sent it to their attorneys and said, look, we want to knock this thing off. How do we do it? Because they sent me a letter twice, once in 1988 and once in 1991, because I sent it to them twice. And they said, thank you for considering us, but we are not interested in this product. Hmm. And that was it until 1994. I don't understand what the point of a patent is then. Like when it becomes public, it's public that you file this patent and I guess there's instructions, but don't you own the rights to it? You do. You do. And what happened was in 1994, a friend of mine calls me up and tells me, Anthony, I'm so excited for you. I see that you sold your product, your, 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 your idea for stuffed crust pizza to Pizza Hut. And I said to him, what are you talking about? Now, you got to realize in, in 1994, there was no Internet. There was no World Wide Web like we have today. So I had to run out and buy a newspaper because that's where he saw it. And I read that. Pizza Hut is launching a $45 million advertising campaign for a product they call Stuffed Crust Pizza. I nearly fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe what was happening. Now, uh, let, me just, let me just recap something here. You couldn't get the trademark on Stuffed Crust Pizza because it was too descriptive. So you called it, what'd you call it? Stuffing the crust. Stuff in the crust. So their loophole was to go with the descriptive term that nobody could patent? You got it. Nobody could trademark it. That's right. You got it. They just took everything I had and gave me nothing. They took all my work, my life's work, <laughs> and just took it from me. 
But here's the crazy thing. Imagine you're me. It's 1994. You were in contact with them in 88 and 91. And then three years later, you see this article where they're spending $45 million to advertise your product. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. So what did I do as a kid from Brooklyn? I start picking up the phone, calling Pizza Hut and saying, what do you, I, I got to talk to somebody. What's going on here? By the third person that picked up the phone, Jim, the guy stopped me dead in my tracks because I said, hi, it's Anthony Mangello. I'd like to talk to somebody about stuffed crust pizza. He says, we know who you are. Just like that. It was like, it was like a scary movie to me. It was. And he says, we'll give you $50,000 for your patent and your trademark. Oh my God. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I says, are you serious? I says, okay, thank you. And I hung up the phone and I was done. I went and I sought out a patent attorney in Manhattan who was my dad's patent attorney. My dad had just passed six months before this thing, this launch happened. Wow. Amazing. I brought it to a really big law firm. They did their evaluation of my patent. They did their best because no one knew how Pizza Hut was making their product. Nobody found out in the world until 19, I'm going to say 98, when I was deposed in their, uh, in their corporate uh, office for their attorneys. When we finally saw how they make their stuff cross pizza, which to me was a lock because it's exactly how my pizza concept was designed. Right. And they must have seen that too. They did. But you know what? This is PepsiCo back then. PepsiCo owns Pizza Hut, Doritos, KFC, all of them. And the, the pockets are endless. Right. And me, it was a David and Goliath situation all the way. And I'm going to tell you what happened that's really tragic. They deposed me for three days. There was a lot of discovery back and forth that normally happens in a trial. But I think Pizza Hut knew that they weren't going to make this. They weren't going to be able to be victorious in this lawsuit, they were going to lose. And they did something that I didn't even know at the time, being a young man, was able to be done. They went to the judge and asked the judge not to allow me a jury trial. And they wanted what's called summary judgment. I didn't even know what that meant. And that meant that Pizza Hut's attorneys... Pizza Hut, PepsiCo, and all their abilities, right? Well, they got Judge Nigerian to rule in their favor. One man, one judge, and he said, yes, I'm going to decide on this case. And after a year, he decided that my patent was good because they tried to get my patent disqualified. But he said that it's a different product because when they cut their pockets open, because they do, that my pockets are supposed to be closed. Now, this is the saddest thing in the whole world. Like I said to you, if a pizzeria is selling a pizza by the slice and they want to cut it between the fillings, they yeah. can. But placing a plurality of separate individual food portions on the dough base is exactly what they did and exactly the words from my patent. But my patent ends at a point where it says, bake the unbaked pie to create a pizza after, of course, you put the sauce and cheese. Now, we all know you cut a pie after it's cooked, right? Right. There was no step for cutting. 
it mentions cutting in the second step, which is the placing step. And it means that you have to make sure you put it evenly all the way around the pizza so that there's no slices without a filling in the crust. Right. And that's how sad this whole situation was. I didn't get to be in front of a jury of my peers. Isn't that what America is built on? Being fair, being able to plead your case, being able to have people who don't know you or the other party and be able to decide fairly. I was treated terribly. And I'll tell you this, it's all in a documentary called Stolen Dough, which will be out this year. And I'll tell you something really, really upsetting to me that I found out just over the last 12 months. Judge Nickerson, and again, I don't think he's with us anymore. He was cited for corporate favoritism. He was doing things that were unethical as a judge. And I believe that's why I was mistreated. Because in any other situation, the outcome would have been different. Did your lawyer try to fight and get a trial by jury for you? Yeah. And it was all up to the judge. And the judge ruled that. He wanted to decide on the case. Mm. And he did. And, and one person, not not 10, not 12, one person decided on this billion-dollar lawsuit and totally destroyed my American dream. And I'll tell you this. It was hard. It was a tough, tough road. Emotionally, going through a lawsuit with one of the biggest corporations in existence it, it takes a lot out of you. And you had to finance all that. It must have cost a lot of money, right? This is the story. The lawyers believed that we would have won so much, they took it on a contingency basis. And then once Judge Nickerson ruled in Pizza Hut's favor, then they wanted money to take it up on appeal. So they offered me $50,000 on a phone call, and the lawyers want a quarter of a million dollars to take it up on appeal. I didn't have that money. I was a little guy, just started my business. I, I needed all the money I had just to pay my, my vendors. How could I invest a quarter of a million dollars? I just didn't have it. And and that's where it laid. Wow. So that's the so that that basically ends where you get nothing. But now at this point you're 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 building this business and you have a very successful business. I mean you have a you built something from nothing. You built something from nothing that's a big success. You're making money. You have a great family. Money isn't everything at the end of the day. No, but I'm going to tell you what I want right now. I'm 58. I'm going to be 59 this year. Mm -hmm. I know I only look 22. It's okay, but yeah. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. <laughs> but here's the point. You know what I really want, Jim? I want my recognition for creating a billion-dollar concept known as stuffed crust pizza. Because like I said before, I'm an artist. And if an artist draws a painting and someone takes it and writes their name on the bottom instead of you, how are you going to feel? I don't want to hurt Pizza Hut. I don't want any money from anybody. I want my recognition because I want my children to be able to be proud of what their dad did. And that to me is the most important thing 
at this time in my life. It really is. Have you ever had any additional contact with Pizza Hut? I don't know who owns Pizza Hut at this point. It's been spun off, but I think it's still the parent company is PepsiCo. Okay. But no, there has been absolutely nothing. But you know what saddens me? And, and, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you would give me this opportunity to talk with you and your listeners is because if you go on the Internet and you look up who invented stuffed crust pizza, these names come up of people that worked in the R&D department of Pizza Hut. Come on, man. I sent it to them. I sent them my patent. I sent them the process. And now they're putting their name on the bottom of that canvas saying they invented it and they didn't. And mm. that's just not fair. And I still buy, I want you to know this, I buy stuffed crust pizza all the time for my children. Why? Because it's my product, and I'm proud of it. And I never tell anyone, don't go to Pizza Hut, be mad at them. No, man. It's business. I get it. Am I, am I unhappy? I'm unhappy with the outcome of the case? Yes. But at this point, it's my product, and I'm proud when my children eat it. Because when they're eating it, I ask them, who invented that pizza? They say, daddy. And that's all that matters to me. So at the end of the day, is there a lesson here? And what is it? Okay. The lesson is, if you're going to patent a product, patent a product and bring it to market while you're in patent pending status. Do not wait until you have a patent to try and sell it in the marketplace. You'll be better protected that way. Number one. Number two, you know how many people told me when I would talk to them about my product, oh, that's too simple. I'm sure somebody already created it. No, never second guess yourself. Your ideas are the best ideas that you should always take forward and always follow your dreams. Because if it wasn't for the people, and I just kept on going. So if you get knocked down, stand up in my brother Junior's words, straighten out your clothes and go do what you know you have to do to be a success. And that's what I did. Did you ever file another patent? Um, I'm filing a patent right now. I'm, I'm in the midst of talking with an attorney for another product that I'm coming out with. But other than that, in my business, I have patented nothing else. I create it and I go to market. I create the idea and I go to market. I get them made, packaged, and in the stores as soon as possible. And that's our marinated, our rolls, our artisan wraps with uh, finger-sized pieces of fresh mozzarella wrapped with brajuto, supersada, pepperoni. Everybody has a favorite, and it's our best product. Amazing. And where's your factory located? I moved out of the city right after 9-11. Truth is, I wanted to get my children out. I was afraid. But I stayed in New York, and I moved upstate. So we are, to give you an understanding, uh, 15 minutes from the original Woodstock site of 1969. So that was in Bethel, New York, and my plant is in Hurleyville, New York. About 125 miles out of Manhattan. Amazing. Well, listen, I really am fascinated by the story, and I appreciate you sharing it with me and our listeners. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. I've never had anyone on to tell a story quite like this. It's unbelievable what, what you went through. But at the end of the day, I see you as a big success. Whether or not you won that lawsuit doesn't matter. I mean, you did invent this stuffed crust pizza. You've created an unbelievable company that we're all familiar with. 
And I wish you continued luck and, and health. So I appreciate it, Anthony. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate that because, again, you, you, you talk with your eyes and your facial expression. You're a very genuine person, Jim, and I thank you for it. All right, Anthony. I appreciate it so much, and I'm looking forward to sharing this with everyone. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. This episode of Bread for the People was brought to you by Side Hustle Bread, Long Island's handcrafted artisanal bread company. Side Hustle Bread is a family-run business that's bringing the neighborhood feel back to Long Island one loaf at a time. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and rate and review this episode. Reviewing and rating is the most effective way to help us grow our audience. This episode was produced by Milestone TV and Film. I'm your host, Jim Serpico. Blessed be the bread, everyone. <laughs>